Greetings and welcome to the Spending Time channel. If you're expecting to find this week's a blog to watch weekly, then you need to get back on your podcaster, search for a blog to watch weekly and listen to the full news and reviews show. However, on the Spending Time channel, we are putting out the full interviews from everything that's on a blog to watch weekly this week. So you, if you stay tuned in, you're going to get to hear the full interview from Jean Edox at Doxa, from Xavier at Chapec, from Mathieu from Watches and Wonders and from Jean Arnaud from LVMH Watches. So stay tuned and listen to all of those interviews. Get in touch with the show, podcast at a blog to watch weekly. Enjoy the show. Well, we welcome back for his third and final appearance before the big day, Mathieu from Watches and Wonders. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thank you, Rick. Less than a week and very excited yeah. to watch the Wonders. It's only a few days now. When we first started speaking, it was in double-digit days. We're now down to counting the hours. So uh, is your level of excitement increasing? Your sleep decreasing? <laughs> of course. Uh, very excited Excited that we are getting closer to, to the opening. Uh, and it's great to see people coming to Geneva. We feel the excitement in the street and in Pal Expo. Excellent. Well, we at A Blog to Watch will have monumental amounts of coverage of the actual products that are being unveiled. But one of the things that we wanted to chat about today is the opportunity, especially in the public days, to visit the lab at Pal Expo. Can you tell us about what people should expect to see and experience in this year's lab? Yes, the, the lab is, um, is designed as an ideas laboratory uh, and will present technological and digital innovation of the exhibiting maison. Um, we'll have 12 projects, half of them from the, from the Maison, the other half from startups and business schools, around three teams. Uh, we'll have uh, one theme is the use of new materials, the metaverse and augmented reality, and blockchain NFTs. So the, the various initiatives will enable the, the visitors to better understand tomorrow's challenges. It's a, you should see it, see it as a sort of think tank for watchmaking. A great, uh, and it's great to put all these people in contact with the Maison. It's a real networking area with beautiful content for the public to, to discover. Excellent, and there's gonna be a photography exhibition in and around, is it in the same location or spread throughout Pal Expo? Yes, it's in, uh, in Pal Expo next to the lab. Uh, among the great discoveries of Watches and Wonders 2023, you have to see the What Time Is It exhibition by Karine Bozin, the Swiss press photographer. This exhibition is illustrating the, the watchmaking gesture and it's really to be seen, the, the artist asks the question, what time is it to people in, in 20 different countries? And the answer is, uh, is illustrated with this exhibition where 80 amazing photos will be previewed. Now, art's obviously going to be a big part of this year's show. Do you see that expanding into 2024 and beyond? We always, you know, it's great to see exhibition like this coming every year uh, at Watches and Wonders Geneva. So I think, yes, we have to see for next year, but uh, happy to bring a beautiful exhibition again to Watches and Wonders Geneva. It's clearly part of the wonders. Now, I want to speak about what you're most excited about, but I wonder, you know, in the world of watches, we often think of 
watches as being something you buy to celebrate something. And so I wonder if after you have a successful Watches and Wonders, which it will no doubt be, whether you'll be tempted to celebrate by buying yourself a watch. And so will you be window shopping while you're going around the exhibition, checking that everything is going on okay? Will you be intrigued also as to what the Maisons are producing and maybe even suffer a little bit of temptation to buy something at the end of the show? Many, many temptations. There are so many wonders. It's Watches and Wonders of Geneva. It's a watchmaking summit, bringing Uh together the, the entire industry. What I would like to, to say is that there's nothing like meeting in person the, the women and men who make the watches to touch and wear the, the products on the wrist. So I wish all the, the visitors and, and watch aficionados to enjoy every single moment of this big gathering, whether in Pal Expo or, or in the city, to meet the watchmakers and learn from, from this beautiful and dynamic industry because there will be so many novelties, new wonders to discover every day at, uh, at Watches and Wonders of Geneva. Yeah, now this year is going to be really the first year that there is no restriction on travel. So do you already have a feel for how much busier it's going to be this year than last? Obviously, the exhibition itself is larger. There's more brands there. Are you expecting just an enormous number of new people to come into Geneva, both Pal Expo and in the city itself? Yes, you know, it's great to see that uh, we can travel now again uh, easily to Geneva. Uh, The numbers today, we see that the city is uh, fully booked, it's uh, the hotels, uh, and we expect today 30,000 uh, visitors coming to, to Watches and Wonders Geneva. Wow. And so very, very uh, ex- excited to, to see all of them coming back to, to Geneva. Brilliant. Well, Mathieu, you've done incredibly well over these last three interviews and in the run-up to the show. I do hope you enjoy it and enjoy the fruits of your no doubt hard labour over the last year we are going to catch up with you again after the event hopefully you will be in one piece and not a quivering wreck and uh, you will have had a chance to sleep and uh, recover and recuperate so I really look forward to both meeting you and in Geneva at the show and speaking to you again to review just how well it's gone in a few weeks time thank you very much for joining us over these past couple of weeks Matthew thank you Ray. see you soon see you soon we welcome to the show the most Scottish sounding of watch brand CEOs uh, who in our conversation moments before press and record we have now rang Xavier to incorporate my bad Scottish accent with his wonderful uh, name we uh, welcome to the show Xavier the CEO of Chapec and you will notice I have not used his surname as we came to a gentleman's agreement beforehand that I wouldn't even bother so Xavier how are you? I'm good I'm good (laughs) You make me regret to not uh, have recorded all the versions of pronunciation of my name. But you did, you did it great. You did it great. Oh, I have those pronunciations. We we can we can do a like one of those movies, like Marvel movies. We'll do the outtakes at the end, <laughs> the the, the post credit scenes. So, Xavier, are you all ready and raring to go for Watches and Wonders? Yes, of course, waiting for that. Yes, dying for that. Even though. It's, you know, every year 
we tell ourselves uh, never again we're not <laughs> never again we're gonna be in the last minutes assembling prototypes uh desperate about hands that are not coming or something like that and every uh-huh. year we are the same you know it seems like uh, it's part of uh, it's our it's our sisyph rock you know to to bring it up yes. and then boom <laughs> Do you think there's anything more ironic than it being watch brands that push things right to the last minute of timing of all things concerned? Totally. I, I even wonder if it's not <laughs> philosophical, you know. <laughs> That's right, yes. God's way of getting back at you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you have some magnificent timepieces waiting to be revealed at the show. And the one I'd like to start with is the Antarctic Titanium Dark Sector. Mm-hmm. This looks absolutely stunning. I-, I want you to tell us about it, obviously, but I also, first of all, want to know about the name Dark Sector because I know what that has to do with, but I'm curious as to who it is in the organization was also very well up on their astronomy and decided that this was what they would bring into the brand. You probably should imagine Chapek as a as a ball that is uh, bouncing on every a bouncing ball that (laughs) that bounces on every angle of your of your living room and uh, trying Uh not to break too many things but that's the way ideas (laughs) move within the company. Okay. And uh, While maybe I'm the number one throwing the ball, then the ball bounces <laughs> from right to left within the team. And that makes an extraordinary kind of chemistry on creation of names. I always insisted on giving a name to each watch that we created because mm-hmm. I always see these products, the amount of work, effort, craftsmanship in them is, is giving them a sound. And to epitomize yes. that, we 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 want to have a name so that the, it's a product itself. It's something that is a living thing that does not belong anymore to us, you know. And so we always look for names. But then once you've started doing that, after 10 years, you start struggling thinking, yeah, should, what should be the next name, you know? And we were there with this model that we created actually one year ago, even more than a year ago. We created it uh, at the end of 2021. And didn't launch it because we have mm-hmm. we had too many models in the pipeline. We thought we cannot launch so many models, so uh, we postponed it. And we love the idea of the sector, but of course the word sector reminds of another watch brand. Uh-huh. Uh, we didn't felt that uh, that was dangerous to in to to insist on that. And then suddenly, one of the team member Pierre actually came up saying, "Hey, you know what? In astronomy." Dark Sector is the name of a telescope in, in Antarctic. It's pretty cool, no? <laughs> and then we all fell in love with uh-huh. the name. So that's, yeah. you know, when you think about ID generation, I was sometimes asked, you know, how IDs come. Of course, you need to have a, a friendly, fun, crazy atmosphere. Because if it's too much stress, mm. too much cash flows, too much uh, things like that, you don't get any ideas. So you need to generate that context. And then you let things flow and it can come up in a strange way. So the first name is uh, is Dark Sector and is coming from a bouncing ball coming from every side thing. Uh-huh. Should we focus on the style of the watch, on the Antarctic in itself, on the shape, 
well and at the end uh, that was how it came to mind what was Brilliant. what was your opinion what did you thought it was i mean i knew what dark sector was just because i happened to be a bit of an astronomy geek so i was aware of the name when i heard that it was called dark sector but before receiving the paperwork i didn't know if that was the context on which you had named it I wondered if it was a sci-fi thing or something else rather than the Addison Scott South Pole Station. But uh, yeah, a cool name, as you say. And it's great to hear that your strategy is always to give watches names. I agree with you. I think the naming of a watch rather than giving it a long, long string of numbers really does give it personality and does give it a bit of a soul. So you were also right, Ria. We... My first yes. novel I ever, the first thing I read, I think in my life, I was between 10 and 12 years old, was was a, a science fiction novel. It was called Millennium. It's a very strange story, short story. And I loved it. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, my whole lecture life has been around, not young life, until the age of 18, was only uh-huh. dedicated to, to science fiction novels. So I'm, I'm really into that. <laughs> That's in the back, you know. <laughs> That's why... Whenever it's, it's a link with astronomy, then I uh, I, I connect it uh, uh, quickly uh, together. And it's part of the history of watchmaking. Huh? Never forget, huh? uh, yes. the Longitude Prize was always between Harrison Absolutely. and and the calculation of time and astro and Maliskin, the, the, the Neville Maliskin, the bad guy who was after astronomy. But still, yeah. you know, so we, <laughs> we have that as a as a watermark behind. The work uh-huh. of, of watchmaking for the last 200 years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that's often forgotten about is that the origin of the watch, a bit like the way that wars tend to create leaps in technology, in the same way, the leap in technology, which was the ability to have timekeeping, was all about you know, touring the world and astronomy and all of all that was involved in that. So yeah, really great to to hear that as the background of everything that is the brand. So tell us some specifics about this watch. People will be able to go and look at pictures on the internet now. Uh, it will be made public. Where is the highlight of this for you? I, I am honestly torn between the bracelet and the strap. They both look uber cool very very smart indeed do you have a favorite aspect of these watches the, the strap is just amazing and that's the way a lot of people we wear yeah. it the bracelet we're still working on it so we'll get it <laughs> and then probably it will become number one once we see it it's like the only the end we all talk yes. about it but i have not gotten it yet <laughs> so, uh, so uh we hope it will come soon but uh, the spirit of the, uh, I mean, the spirit of the Antarctic is there. We always wanted to go to the next level, which was the titanium. And this concept of mm-hmm. watch was completely fitting that aspect because of its, its extreme dial where the the, mar- the hours are marked by the absence of marker. You know, there is, there is, all these sectors yes. are actually counting the hours and the distance between each sector is just uh, the hour. So it's an interesting concept of void that marks, you know, the uh, the element and and a lot of other things are like yes. that you know like silence with music with no silence there is no music but silence is the absence so how can you uh, can you define it no we we could we could go more philosophical but i know i have to keep that short so um that was <laughs> the direction we always wanted 
with the titanium uh, version of uh -huh. uh, of uh, the Antarctic, and so it's it's an evolution, yeah. and it's a uh, it's a continuous product. So we we will have the the pleasure to keep it for many years. Good, it's a, a very very pretty looking watch, and yeah, the whole fact that the hours etc are cut out from if you like the markers and as you see the passing of the hour is actually represented by void rather than by presence is actually a really nice whimsical kind of take on time telling without it over complicating or you know almost trying to be too clever for its own good mm. it's just still really nice and simple and classic looking so this is going to be the main focus of the show as i understand uh, it and exactly. i suspect it will no. be a big seller no no is there is is there maybe so, one or two other things that are coming that so, might take us by surprise this is the thing we are working on new projects and new <laughs> models and and we have been overwhelmed yeah. by the dim, by the orders last year, you know. So yes. we have had to yeah. reshuffle, reschedule everything, try to to uh, to to build up the the whole system to work together. And uh, we will uh, we have postponed our big launches to the second half of the year to be able to to build capacity of production actually. And so our focus for watches and wonder is on Antarctic, but we come with various models. So the dark sector on titanium mm -hmm. is going to be the first one unveiled. The following one is playing with, uh, you know, my my pitch about horological eroticism, uh, where we we try to uh, uh -huh. we try to make the movement as beautiful as possible, even though it was a relatively simple movement because it's a it's a three and watch. Yes, and a lot of people have actually looked at that movement and say, wow, it's incredible. It should be the other way around. We should yeah. be looking at the movement instead of uh -huh. looking at the watch. And so that's the direction in which uh -huh. we uh, we uh, we are working. So I could say the second move, in the second watch, Chapek undresses. So uh, for the pleasure of the eyes. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, and then the other, uh, I don't say too much on that movement, on that watch. Uh, for the moment so <laughs> then we come with uh you know the then you know the antarctic case was created for smaller wrists regardless of the gender we we find that the whole gender thing about watches was a bit pushed up and some watches are naturally more feminine some more masculine but they should be mm -hmm. the entry point you know and so you can imagine men wearing diamonds mm -hmm. that doesn't make them less men you know it's just a matter of taste but we always said that we would make the Antarcticus evolve in direction that would cover more or less masculine or feminine sites. So we come with a with a mother of pearl dial that will be uh, nice. set with diamonds on on the bezel, but also on the case, also on the dial, also on different parts mm -hmm. of, of the piece. And it's called La Carte des Nuages. Okay. So I'm not gonna try and repeat that back to you. <laughs> have you ever been a scout, Ria? Okay. Uh, no, I was uh, in the boys' brigade. When you are a scout at the <laughs> uh, at the very beginning, you are called uh -huh. the cutpats, which is uh, the last of the patrouille, and there is always the uh, you're normally twelve years old and uh, around, and there are a lot of jokes yeah, yeah. that are made, you know, and uh, and so the guy is asked, you know, to to find a file to grow metal. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we, what we call are, are a, a tin of tartan paint. Exactly. A tartan yeah, paint. Yeah. The tartan paint is tartan a classic paint. one. The tartan paint. Go for the tartan <laughs> a, paint. A, a, or a long stand. One of them is called 
the cloud map. <laughs> yes, they caught a, over here. So, we call it a sky hook. Go and fetch me a sky hook. Was the joke? So that was that was the idea. And why? Because the person behind the uh, concept of that watch uh, was actually my wife, and she wanted to to cross elements. You know, to make a square into into a round base, and she included some gear shake cuts, six gear shake cuts, three vertical, three uh, horizontal, and that they create a, they create a shape of a, of the lines of a map, you know? And then behind the uh, uh -huh. Mother of Pearl is uh, beautiful. It's a Perle Mother of Pearl, which normally cannot be guilloché, yeah. but because we have so few cuts, uh -huh. we can do hand guilloché on them. Right. Okay? And again, it's the same aesthetic kind of spirit as for the other Antarctic uh, pieces, whereas there is a simplicity. Simplicity is a superlative of advanced design, you know? It's when you, you cut everything that is not important yeah. to keep really what's critical and to make an effect. So that's how we, we come up with the watch, two tones, so there is a gray tone that is more masculine and a, a natural tone of the mother of pearl that is more feminine, but again, we don't know. Maybe more men will buy the natural tone and more women the greater. We don't know. We let people choose yeah. and enjoy. But the, the simplicity of the design is so unique that it's uh, quite striking. So I'm very happy to see that watch which was, which was actually one of the first uh, design ideas of my wife, which has never been prepared for that. Uh, but uh, that's part of the startup. When you work here, it's... Uh, you're always thrown into doing a job you've never heard of before, and you have to make it right. Yes. <laughs> so it's part of the beauty. I'm here to help <laughs> the team members, but uh, that's uh, that's the thing. And then the, the second the second model is also coming from my my wife's initial brief. Um, Should I be speaking to your wife rather than you? Is that what yeah. we're saying? Well, she will be very. She she considers she's not good in English, so we, she would be afraid of of doing it. But I can call her. Okay. I'm working from home now, so uh, well, I can go there. It's a good idea. Yeah. Come here, you're on the radio. I'm, I'm sure you'll not get any abuse for that at all. Uh, I'll propose uh, to, to do that. The other one was, she wanted to work on a geometric pattern coming from the influence of, of fabrics, because she studied, she studied fabric design, fashion. That's where, the, right, that's okay. where she comes from in terms of, of field. And... In Japan, there is a tradition very old of embroidery that is called sashiko. And this tradition of embroidery is usually using some geometric pattern made out of natural patterns. So here, it's a lotus flower mm -hmm. that is the origin of the inspiration of the Japanese sashiko and that we have created in 3D, so with a top and uh, downs, uh, reproducing exactly the shape of what is normally embroidered on old uh, Japanese fabrics. Right. Okay. I can picture that in my mind's exactly. eye. So that's, that's a sashiko. And for the sashiko, we continue to blur the things because we created a masculine pink. So uh, listen, I'm I'm all for more yeah, pink watches. Well, big fan the, of pink watches. I think certainly I think that there's gonna be more pink watches at this year's watches and wonders than folk are expecting, oh, is all, all I right. will say. I, I think there will be one or two kicking okay. about. So I, I think pink may be the new Tiffany yeah, Blue. That's possible. That's possible. I mean, I would say in Chapek, you know that we love colours. We have always a hard time selling selling a black watch. <laughs> 
very strange. <laughs> <laughs> number one sale for everyone except us, you know. Uh, Talk to me briefly as we, we close up about the brand yourselves as an independent producing watches which are in enormous demand and has really exploded over the last two or three years and there are several other brands alongside you who would be telling a similar mm -hmm. story what do you put that down to so so okay in 2016 so it's it's an explosion inside uh -huh. an explosion all right so in 20 right. okay. in 2016 well, i remember when we came to watches and wonder for the first year there was an interview made mm -hmm. to different ceos about the, the market and the way it was evolving. 2016 was a crisis. And I remember that there was one CEO saying, the market for the independent is today so small and the appetite for this approach of watchmaking is growing so strongly that we should expect this market segment to grow times three over the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is what happened. So, of course, uh, uh, there is a big brand with a crown that is an independent. I'm not talking about them, even though they have been <laughs> yes. growing no. nuts. <laughs> and then the, yeah, yeah. There is the old partner of Chapek, you know, that has been here for uh -huh. very long yeah. and that are also enjoying good times and good for them. Uh, yes. But I'm talking about the small companies and the small brands. And we could see that there was an appetite for, for the approach of watchmaking that was really focusing on on the mechanics on the origin on the essence on the substance okay and then trying with the design to also go into new territories to explore new territories and this was a sort of a laboratory of ideas that's what the independent are where and are and will be also in the future and this is suddenly what has sort of driven the market accelerated the market so that was one element. The second element is that there has been a change in the behavior of people. And you always have to understand when you think about a market and consumers, who is the leader and who is going to mark the direction. And you remember the two big boys we were talking about uh, five minutes ago. These are the ones that have kind of shown the direction and implemented this direction. And there is a, a third boy that we will know about that we can add to that. And that has made yes. that in 2017, <laughs> just after an event in Madrid, one of the guys organizing the event told me, look, I got a way to count the clicks on every watch in my own uh, sort of uh, bibliography of all the watches. I can tell you there are three watches that collect 90% of the clicks. And this, uh, these are the watches we were talking about, the, the famous trilogy. So uh -huh. then uh, I understood. I said, okay, I hear that too from my shareholders. We have shareholders. We have 200 shareholders. So these shareholders were telling me, look, your classic watches are so beautiful. They're fantastic. I love them, but I cannot go to a barbecue with my buddies, have beers with that watch. I cannot go to the beach <laughs> with my kids. I cannot play. I mean, I want to go to the gym and throw my watch in my gym bag, even though that's horrible. I, I admit it, but I want, that's my way of living. And we thought, okay, we need to make a beautiful, aesthetically corresponding to our beliefs, sport watch that is a real sport watch that people can bang and no problem. And that, and that was not us. That was a big trend for all the market, okay, in that direction. And then there was a third element, 
which is the crisis that have come through and the COVID has made people focus on watches as a way to actually create pleasure and, and wealth at the same time. And because there was a concentration of attention during the COVID online, that has created a bubble, an acceleration with some speculation. And so these three elements have made a chain reaction. You know, and that has created what happened then, which is Chapek forced to close his order book his, uh, to for a year because we just couldn't cope with the demand. Yeah. Is there a future problem brewing simply because the demand is so outstripping the supply or will it all eventually catch up? Is it a bubble that will yeah. sort itself out and waiting lists will go back down to three or four months rather than companies closing order books, etc.? Because you're not the so, only one that's had to do that. We all would love to be the most intelligent, and we are not. We are not better <laughs> than our fathers. Let's look back to history yeah. of watchmaking. So the, the, watch is, the watch industry is cyclical. The watch business is cyclical. And we are in a growth, but there will be waves in that growth. There will not be a burst and then back to zero. We are going to grow, but with up and downs. Okay? And right now, we're in a down. And it will be helping cooling a bit down what was happening that was completely insane yeah. and stupid and not the watchmaking we love. Watchmaking is not about speculation. Watchmaking is about loving watches. So so it's, it's, it makes us go back to the essence. We are implementing rules, asking people to not sell their watch before a year, at least. And if they do, we will ask them to focus on other brands. Please. Okay. All right. That's because we think it's our responsibility individually. Everyone, even we, if we are very small, to, to state what we believe in. And we believe that collecting watches is about keeping them, wearing them, and leaving that, you know. And uh, we're not take to, you know, teaching anyone. We just, we are communicating our convictions. Okay. So this is uh, what's happening now. So I expect the market to continue to grow because watches are beautiful and because thanks to a company uh, with the shape of a fruit that is half eaten it has put back <laughs> tens of millions of watches on the wrist of people who have suddenly realized that uh, wearing a watch was fantastic so this is fueling the market this was the third the fourth explosion of the of the chain reaction the smart watches have created a change in the behavior and everyone who is having the money and the love for watches is now going into mechanica and that's absolutely and i suspect that having seen the releases that are coming from yourselves for watching wonders that demand is only going to continue so thank you very much for your time i've decided that from now on i'm <laughs> going to call you xdr like JFK and all the rest of it. We'll just you should just go by your initials now. So it saves me trying to pronounce your name. So XDR from Chapek, thank you very much for joining us. I look forward to seeing you in Geneva and look forward to getting your hands on with all the novelties that you're releasing. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye guys. Bye bye. Nice meeting you. And keep on loving watches. Cheers. Welcome to the show, all the way from Sunny Bien, although I don't think that's where he is today. We welcome Yanni Docks from Doxa, 
who is going to tell us all about something very nice and shiny and new that Docs are bringing to the market. And you may have seen this even before this audio recording goes out because Jan is releasing this next week on the 20th. Jan, first of all, how are you? I'm doing very fine. Thank you Good. for, Good. for this uh, interview. I'm doing very well and looking forward to the exhibitions in Geneva. Yes. Are you all ready? Have you got a routine that you go through? Is there? Do you do your own packing? Do you forget stuff? What's, what no, normally no, happens? No, no, it's really routine. <laughs> but, uh, still, every uh, don't take it for granted. So there's all the time last minute surprises. So that that keeps it up and exciting. No, but we are ready. Good, yes. good, good. And this year, you're not at the main Pal Expo. You're actually uh, one of the number of brands that are displaying within the hotels exactly. uh, of Geneva. And where will people be able to find you this year? So this is uh, since last year's now already, we are staying at the Borywash Hotel. Yeah. The wonderful suite, which customers mm -hmm. really in the press appreciate with a nice view on the lake. Yeah, very good. And, uh, so uh, people know where to find us. So it's yeah. a Borywash Hotel, yeah. Excellent. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. So tell us about what docs are bringing to the market on the 20th. What can we expect to see? So it's a it, it, it's a it's a line extension uh, which we launched. We went into the chronographs that was three years ago into a launch, and now uh, we developed also the uh, a model which is more used also in the cave diving. And cave diving uh, uh, diving is something very dangerous. Me personally, I'm also a diver, but All right, okay. I never made but I never made it. It's really. <laughs> <laughs> so we met cave divers and all this, and there, especially the functionality of the watch, most likely cave divers, they have different uh, function also from the chronograph because they stay longer on the water. For a long time, you can't find airspace. And uh, so it's not only that they run for 60 minutes, sometimes they're down there for hours. And so our chronographs really gives also the guarantee that you can record your dive time in hours uh, during cave diving right and, okay and uh, what we did we adapted it also in a slimmer version in a 42 millimeter diameter which is more apt to today's use it's a beautiful uh, watch but going back in history the dials are super shiny yes so super shiny as going back to doxa stories with the orange dial i could talk for two hours <laughs> that uh, but uh, end of the 60 was proven that in the first 30 meters going down that orange is the most readable color on a watch especially for divers so uh, we're excited to bring it up in uh, the six color variations uh, fairly priced i don't know now the price in pounds but in us dollars but i think it's retested for 2790 us dollars so very fairly priced a lot of value for a watch and we're just happy to launch it on the 20th so the title of this watch is a sub 200 seagraph 2 exactly and one of the main things that people will immediately notice is it is a smaller watch the yes. traditional diver of this size is a 45 millimeter exactly. watch it's a 45 and based also on the market 45 is also a beautiful product but looking at uh, now you have the cave divers today the divers by its own they also dive with computers of course yes but, and uh, we call it uh in, in docs in general we're not just selling watches to real divers we're also selling watches to desk divers so and, and for desk divers the 45 it's maybe a bit too heavy <laughs> Oh, that's why it's also the 42 variation. It's lighter and it's more suitable, of course, still for divers, but yep. maybe also for desk divers. So, And this request came out of the market. Excellent. Now, it is being released in all of the colors you would expect from Doxa. Have 
each of these colour ranges been given names similar to the colour ranges elsewhere in the group? Yes, absolutely. So Professional has from six, 1967, the orange dial stands uh, with the name of Professional. And every colour has a name in the DNA of DOXA. So then we had the Shark Hunter for the black, Diving Star for the yellow, the Aquamarine for the so-called Tiffany blue, but the Tiffany blue, uh, we were there since 50 years with this color, not two years. So it's called Aquamarine. Uh-huh. So yeah, every color has its own name. Excellent. I have to say, I am particularly drawn to the silver. Yes. I mean, I love Doxa watches and all the colors and I've worn many and really enjoyed them. But there's just something about the pure stainless steel yes. of the whole thing that is just really, really appealing, especially on the, the mesh bracelet. But as well as the bracelets, there is also a series of matching coloured rubber straps. Yes. And Doxa have become very well known recently for the quality of these particular straps. And now you can basically mix and match. So you could have a an orange rubber strap on the yellow dial. You've got all sorts of options. We leave that open to end consumers. They can go as wild as they want. We offer now color matched <laughs> possibilities. It's also nice to see. Uh, we've seen on social media already uh, very beautiful color matches. Depends also how long the people were on the sun or how far how people were driving. <laughs> I don't know. But of course, you can play around. <laughs> Excellent. Now, Doxa as a brand in recent years has been one of a handful of brands that has really feels like it's outperformed the market, feels like it's really gotten into the consciousness of not just the average watch collector, but also a large number of the general public who yeah. would maybe only ever own one or two watches. Yeah. It has come much more to the fore as being a legitimate and logical choice for someone that maybe just owns a single sports watch. How do you reflect on what the brand and how the brand has performed over the last two or three years? So listen, it was really a strategic approach. I mean, Doxa had his own fan group since going back to the end of the 60s. And the, the really the big, the, the, the big challenge when we, we don't call it a relaunch, but uh, it got there that all these Doxa fans, they became older and older and by nature. And more and more Doxa, the brand it's only needed to be careful not to become a museum brand, you know, where the old people, they clap on your shoulder. Oh, it's beautiful what you do. The story is so nice going back. But no one's buying a watch anymore. So the next generation, the first time buyer were missing with Doxa. And that's why what we decided to do, that we ap- that adapted, first of all, the collection in a price range of 1,500 US retail. And then especially Doxa was available until three years ago only through the online business. Mm-hmm. So there was no retailer. There was no possibility to touch and feel. And this is now what we changed, that we're going very exclusively on the market with really prestigious esteemed partners and retail that end consumers, they can also go touch and feel the product, which you can't do online. So we keep that exclusive. And on that regard, we're very happy because now every year we grow the business, really that the last year we extend the 10,000 watches being sold, not produced. Right. That's a clear number. Uh, and the people, you can also feel it that the, the, the numbers are true, looking also at the esteemed collaboration we have with Watch of Switzerland and the United States, for example, work also with them in the UK, but with other esteemed retailers. And uh, and over 50% every year are first-time buyers. That's a figure where we are super happy that end consumer, they may go into a retail store, uh, maybe they can't find anything else, or maybe they find anything else, but they can't get delivered. <laughs> so then... <laughs> 
or they have no right to buy. And then when you look, <laughs> Doxa is really standing out by its own. You, you like it or you don't like it. Doxa yeah. stays in or stays around the water. We're not trying to please everyone, not pilots, not the car industry. And then the end consumer is there and they discover the brand also. It's what you mentioned. And then they go and then what happens? A very fair related price to what you get. And that's Doxa since ever end of the 60s already. By then already the end consumers being the first watch with a helium valve that was in 1968 being sold to end consumer already by then Doxa was now, oh, I'm getting a lot of value for a decent good retail price. Presumably this is the winning recipe that you plan to stick with. Or are we going to see at some point a brand new range rather than range extensions? Where, where do you, to what extent have you already mapped out where Doxa is going to go in the next three to five years? Or do you prefer to sit back and actually deal with the market as it's presented to you rather than trying to make the market? No, it's it, it, it's a combination. It is not just sitting around and just wait for for, for, for end consumers uh, just looking for a sport watch. Today with the social media, you also need to be proactive. In the price range, we have our plans. It is not that we go up and uh, you will find a day a stainless steel watch of Doxa for uh, 15,000 Swiss francs. No, that will not happen. But we play around with material. And in salt water, you're more, you are more compressed or more limited to play with materials. Uh, but they definitely have plans. And for example, the next the wonderful launch will be end of August, where we're almost done. And uh, this goes a little bit in the direction which you mentioned, but not crazily, but it's a combination of really uh, a new combination of materials docks are never used together. Excellent. Well, I look forward to seeing that. Is that going to be air, land or sea based? Uh, it will be. It's still sea based. Uh-huh. But a little bit in a different way. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I'm going to try and extract more information from yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, but it's still, but it's not. Uh, it's not just purely to add on just the diving, diving, diving. Yeah, it, it, it has a certain spiciness with beauty. This is what I can tell with <laughs> joy and. Uh, which you may also wear not only in the water. That's all what Excellent. I said. Am I going to get a phone call from your marketing executive saying, you've got to take that out from what Jan's just said. He's given too much away. Exactly. Yes. So, uh, I, I, I will be guilty. And I, they, they tell me I talk too much. Okay, well, that's fine. That's fine. Well, well, I very much look forward to seeing the watches in Geneva in a couple of weeks' time and very much indeed look forward to what's coming from the brand for the rest of the year. Thank you, Jan, for joining us and uh, have a safe setup and a safe travels into the hotel. I hope you get some sleep. Are you expecting, uh, uh, is your is your dance card fully booked for the week? No, this is a really absolutely, but well, from Bien to Geneva, it's a one and a half hours, two hours drive. So that's an easy one. So Good. we are not running into a risk together with a layover of jet lag and all this. That will not happen to us. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Jan. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you very much. Really appreciate also for your support. Bye-bye. The LV Watch Prize has now launched and you are accepting applications until May 31st, 2023. This is a very novel initiative in the watch world. What are people already saying about it? Thank you very much for the question. The funny thing is we didn't really know what to expect when we first announced the LV Watch Prize. Obviously, we knew that people were going to uh, talk about it and, and have their own voice to, to it, but we didn't expect at all the amount, the, the amazing reception we've had, both from industry professionals and people outside the industry completely. So 
when we started doing the process and everything like that, we contacted the people that run the LVMH Prize for young designers uh, to have their opinions on it, etc., etc. And obviously, the watch industry is much smaller than, than the fashion industry, so uh, the timings and everything like that had to be a bit moved to adapt for the watch industry. But they thought, okay, you might get you know a, a little amount of applications at the beginning, and you know for us, this they said, oh, us at the first year was uh, a bit more complicated than now because now we have a lot of background behind us, 10 years, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we're, we were lucky enough to. I think as of yesterday have around 600 applications that have started on the website. A couple of them have, uh, have already submitted their applications and it's really started with a strong start, you know. Uh, people are getting excited about it. Not only in Switzerland, uh, across the world we received applications from, you know, Israel, from, uh, from Ukraine even and, and places like that. So we're accepting it from, from, from all, all across and it's, uh, it's quite an amazing process. What did some of the people internally at Louis Vuitton watches say about it when you brought it to them. Of course, they're not used to doing things like this. I'm just curious some of the internal feedback you had. Um, internal to Louis Vuitton, people were, I mean, one thing that Louis Vuitton as a house has been really pushing a lot is being a, a, a cultural hub. And so obviously we have the Louis Vuitton Foundation in Paris. We sponsor all of these great art events and exhibits around the world. Obviously, LVMH has a, a lot of uh, track record with the donations of different paintings, etc., etc. And initially, the idea was, well, obviously people were asking, how far do you want to go with this? What's the end goal? And what's the idea in 10 years? Where do you want this to be in 10 years? Uh, but as soon as that vision was, was set forth, everybody was very keen to, to get their project going because at LV and at LVMH as well, we're used to projects which are for the greater good uh, in a way and, uh, and caritative projects. Uh, we really push forward to get those projects, uh, get, the, get those projects going and, and this is just one amongst, uh, amongst many. In some fundamental ways, the LV Watch Prize was modeled after the LVMH Prize, which is mainly for fashion. What was it about the success of the LVMH Prize that made you feel it would be appropriate for creative minds in the horological space? The whole idea behind the LV Watch Prize started by my passion for watchmaking. A big fan of independent watchmaking. I, I, I'm not uh, secretive about it. I really enjoy, you know, all the independent watchmakers, the up-and-coming guys, even the people that are that have been there for, for many, many years. And when I saw this trend starting to pick up in auctions, in press as well, and people getting interested about that side of horology, I wanted to find a way to ensure that this trend could continue over time and, and be sustainable. Five, six years ago, the trend was vintage watches. For then, it was, you know, vintage complicated watches. And even before then, it was uh, big brand names and, and, and nothing more. Now people are getting really deeper into it and are focusing around small independence, people that do five, even one to, two, one to three watches a year that work uh, in, in the traditional artisanal way of the 19th century. And that's the kind of segment I really want to promote in the watch industry in general. Um, and that's why we created the prize. So uh, I don't want LV to become uh, product-wise a player in that field in the sense that we're going to make every single watch like a 19th century artisan used to make it. But I want to ensure that these people that want to build that dream have a platform that they can use to ensure that that dream gets, uh, gets realized, you know. So part of this is self-interest. You have watches that you would like to see being made, and this is a very interesting and probably effective way of getting that done. Yeah. Probably the best way to create a product is through personal desire for it, right? For sure. I mean, I, I, again, 
some some of the names I'm not gonna the, gonna enumerate them, but you, we we both know of 15 to 20 even more people that work work along those uh, those principles, and I find that super interesting. So it's I want to see more of that. Uh, I want to see more of that in the industry as well. I think that one thing that's great about that part of the uh, of the watch industry is. Uh, you don't feel like they're competing against each other the same way big brands are competing against each other. And it's all about making, everybody's focusing on the product. So making sure that their product is the best and, and they're not looking at what uh, uh, the guy next door is doing. They're really focusing on making sure that they can make their own watches the best along their techniques. And that's the kind of artisanship I want to promote uh, over, over the long run. Right now in the industry, there's a lot of looseness around terminology and definitions. We use terms like independent watchmaker, which doesn't mean that much, micro brand. What are some of the terms you like? For example, I've been experimenting with the term artist watchmaker. What are, in your words, some of the best ways to describe these people? Because again, I think that there's not a lot of agreement on what these terms mean right now. Artist watchmaker is a great word. It's the first time I hear about it. I just uh, made it up. <laughs> I, I think it really makes sense uh, to, to, to call them that. It's, it, they are artists in their, in their own way, especially you know, the people that, that don't work in the industrial way uh, and work in a very uh, artisan-focused way. This whole aspect of, uh, of watchmaking, you can call it whatever you want, but the whole point is that they work for the great, greatness of the product rather than the greatness of their brand. So you know, it, it, it can often be even a, a, a blessing and a curse for them because they're focusing on the product so much that the brand doesn't really, doesn't really expand because they're still making one to three watches a year, so they're never going to build a huge conglomerate out of it. But that's what I love about it, is the fact that they're so passionate about the product in a way like I am, that they, they're willing to put all their efforts into one watch a year rather than say, okay, I can decrease my level of quality but make you know, 10 to 15 watches a year uh, but that's not acceptable, right? So they, they'd rather really focus on, 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 on the product. And again, a artist, watchmaker, uh, you know, artisan, whatever you want to call it, it's, uh, it's that beauty of craft that, that can work. Yet again, you also have people that have a great eye on design, not necessarily the same, the, the same focus around you know, movements and craftsmanship and things like that, because to get those movements out, you need a lot of resources, you need a lot of connections within watchmaking circles to ensure that you can get either your components at the right level of finishing, the right, the right watchmakers to assemble your watches and things like that. People from you know, uh, other, other countries that are not watchmaking based don't have access to these people necessarily and have to make do what, what they have there, right? So you won't necessarily see you know, a watchmaker from America that has the same level of finishing than a watchmaker from Switzerland, but that person has the same uh, dedication to, to his or her craft and that's also something that's completely uh, amazing for the price to, to see, you know. So they're not going to have the best black polish on every single screw, but you can see that the way the movement was built and, and, and understood is, uh, is great in and of itself, you know. So we're really looking for both sides of the spectrum. It could even be, you know, quartz pieces, but the way the design of that quartz piece was made and realized, it could be completely unique and completely different and, and really appeal to a lot of people. And that's, we want to find you know, that's the, those gems here and there that are hidden within the, uh, all, over, all across the world. Throughout history, great artists have often needed a patron to not only support their work, but to actively pay for it. And I see some analogs here. 
where we recognize how difficult it is to come out with a truly original orological creation and a house like Louis Vuitton through La Fabrique du Temps is potentially such a patron. Would you agree that that's a little bit a part of the goal here? For sure. I mean, patron in the sense of, you know, financial resources um, uh, is, is one thing. We do provide, you know, 150,000 Swiss francs for the winner, but I don't want that to be the focus around the winner's prize in a sense, because our main goal is to ensure that we get those watchmakers from America, from China, from Japan, from all across the world to get access to the, the, the inner workings of the Swiss watch industry. Um, it may not be the most efficient way of working, you know, the Swiss watch industry, but it's the most efficient way of working that we've found so far. And so the idea is to help guide them through and have that sort of mentorship program uh, at, the end of, uh, at the end of that prize that could help at, at the desire of, the, of that watchmaker, um, that could help him or her to uh, achieve, achieve a, a next step in, in his or her company, right? So at the end of the day, if that person says, I just want, I just want the prize money, I don't want the, your mentorship, that's completely fine. We're not imposing anything on anyone. But if that person says, okay, yeah, well, my company is uh, uh, three to five people strong now. I want to recruit to 15 people. How do I find these people? Can you explain to me how you recruit people in, in the US, in China, or anywhere else? How do you go along that process? Okay, so now how do you create a structure? Where can I buy a CNC machine? Uh, where can I buy you know, those uh, uh, tools to finish my, my components perfectly, et cetera, et cetera. So we can help them uh, weed these problems out. And we also count on, on our academy of, of experts to um, help them as well in, in that process, right? Uh, we, we, again, won't force any, any expert to uh, mentor that person if uh, him or her hasn't voted for, for the watchmaker. But if they believe in, in, in that project, we really count on the experts as well to, to bring their, their light. And for instance, you know, use your resources in, in, in media and communications to, to promote that, that watchmaker as An well. An important part. Exactly, 100%. And, and also guide them through you know, the, the, the process and, and how to get their names out there. You know? That answers the question I was about to ask about more details regarding the mentorship. I guess all I'll ask is you expand a little bit in terms of the resources at La Fabrique du Temps, what are some things that you can actually help do for a prize winner through this amazing facility that they really can't get elsewhere? Because you're talking about some referrals, but there's some things that you can do in-house for the prize winners that I believe really couldn't be gotten anywhere else. What are some of those things? Well, we obviously have some great industrial capacities at Fabrique du Temps, especially in that you know unique piece to small series production level level watches. Uh, we're definitely not geared towards mass production. Uh, I mean, you've seen the Fabrique du Temps many times, you you you, and the products that we've come out with year year over year. We focus around métier d'art pieces. We focus around high finished movements uh, and try to to really professionalize ourselves within that sort of. Uh, small series and unique, unique pieces, and that kind of fits within the the uh, watchmakers we're trying to attract through uh, through that prize. So, obviously, if uh, if a Swiss watchmaker wins or even an American watchmaker wins uh, the the prize next year, um, and needs components, you know, like uh, uh, screws or even bridges and plates and things like that for his or her movement, we'll definitely be there to help out. Um, but the the main goal for us is not to um, how do you say. Uh, completely encapsulate the production of that of that small watchmaker. We want them to develop in and out, uh, on their own uh, and help them in the process. So, if we can 
you know, uh, help them, first of all, financially through the, um, through the prize money, and then through, um, through these components to help them, you know, start either the subscription piece or uh, other, other kinds of, uh, of products where we, we'd be super keen to do that. Um, and also help them in a management way, you know, uh, saying, you know, that often watchmakers are very good at, at, at watchmaking, uh, but not necessarily at managing people. So we can either find someone that can help them in, in their, uh, in, at their company to uh, scale up or uh, just help them and, and coach them towards, you know, skills of management. We have plenty, plenty of, of uh, uh, what we call uh, training programs at LVMH that can help with that. And, and we'd be super keen to, to enroll them in, when, in one of those training programs, you know. Of course, it's hard to make a promise because every prize winner will have a different situation, but it is very clear that this mentorship as well as this access uh, is clearly very, very valuable. Let's move on to a different line of questioning. Louis Vuitton is a company deeply connected to today's culture. The LV Watch Prize adds culture to Louis Vuitton by encouraging fresh ideas and personalities in the professional watchmaking space. Can you explain a bit about what Louis Vuitton seeks to learn from the candidates, their creations, and their perspectives on today's culture? Very interesting question. I mean, we stay completely independent and, and uh, neutral in that whole price process. The idea for us is to be a facilitator between uh, watchmakers that haven't been uh, discovered yet and the wider public. So we really want to stay away from uh, diving deep into every single candidacy and trying to find uh, and, and weed out the best concepts, et cetera, et cetera. The idea for us is really to first narrow down uh, the list from whatever amount of, of uh, initial applications we'll get down to the 20 uh, semifinalists. And then it'll be all up to the experts to find uh, what their pick is and what their preference is in that. So, I mean, obviously LVMH, the LVMH prize has been tremendous in that and finding those new designers here and there. And, but LVMH has also stayed very committed towards not encapsulating these designers within the group and, and letting them flourish on their own. And so that's really the same idea here. So we really want to try to find the, the makers of the future uh, in, in watchmaking terms, but let, letting them flourish on their own. Uh, obviously, build relationship with, relationships with them that we we'll hope will be uh, sustainable the, uh, over the long run. And if uh, these people need help from us, you know, even after the mentorship theoretically ends and things like that, we'll, our doors are always open. To, but never trying to be overbearing or saying, you know, uh, to, trying to uh, guide them towards a, a specific strategy or anything like that. You know, it's, it's really letting them flourish on their own. Hopefully, when you talk about saying if we'll have a sense of culture o o over time, if, if, if we'll learn things about the, about the new trends in the watch industry, I'm sure we will, but everybody will learn at the same pace as us, in the sense that right. we'll, we'll see when these people flourish, when their companies hopefully flourish, uh, everybody at the industry will be at the same page and we'll be able to see if, uh, if that was a success or not. I can imagine from your position looking at the applications, because you are a watch lover, you must be very excited to see what comes in, the good or the bad, it's going to be entertaining, right? Yeah, I mean, I haven't dived, in, I dived into it yet, but, but I think in the, when, the, when the applications start, uh, start to roll in at the, end of the, at the end of the application period, I'm certainly going to have a look at a, at a couple of them, but uh, <laughs> I'll mostly be focused on the 27 fan lists. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I always like, I mean, as a journalist on a daily basis on my inbox, I get new brands, new ideas, people reaching out to me, and it never gets old, right? It's always interesting to see. 
you talked a little bit about this, but I think it's so important to discuss it more because there's all these people out there you're trying to reach. What type of creative maker is an ideal applicant for the LV Watch Prize? To help relate to the largest number of possible applicants, talk a little bit about what Louis Vuitton is and is not looking for in an LV Watch Prize candidate. So that's a, that's a very important question because we're trying to find the people that are going to shape the future of watchmaking, yet we try to weed out at the very beginning the people that are not there for the right reasons. So we really want to have people that are already established, so that have launched the product commercially before the end of the application period. So it can be May 30th, 2023. As long as the product is launched commercially, it's, it's something we, we would consider. And why are we doing that? Because we wouldn't want to, I mean, all of us cannot look at, uh, at uh, every single watch launch all across the world that might go under the radar. And we don't want people that are, are imitating others, uh, other people's designs and things like that, or people that are uh, trying to pretend uh, to be something that they're not. You know? So someone that comes in with uh, one drawing, uh, might be a drawing, a drawing that's stolen from a friend uh, that did it uh, 10 years ago. And that friend has actually the uh, intellectual property rights over that drawing. Whereas the, the, so we want to really start by weeding all these people out uh, and trying to find the people that have established and are serious about it as well. We don't want people that also apply to that, uh, promising the moon of saying, I'm going to create a, uh, an amazing new concept uh, uh, with, uh, with three or four you know, research papers and then end up uh, just getting the 150,000 Swiss franc prize and then nobody hears about them again, you know? So we want some people that are committed to starting the company that have already made the step, not people that are considering it. Hopefully with that barrier, we will convince pe more people to make that step later on. So we're, we're really working on, on that front rather than saying, helping people from the get-go to make the step because in that process, we might get a lot of people that are not necessarily uh, adequate uh, and, and might present stuff which is either stolen or imitating, copying and things like that, you know. So originality and dedication and follow through seem to be the three most important things you're looking for. 100%. I mean, we want people that are de dedicated to their craft and are serious about making these watches a reality. So. We want people that want to build a brand, however small or big it is. You know, it can be one watch a year, it can be 100,000 watches a year. I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit, but you see what I, you see my point. It's about someone that's trying to enter that, that, that watch space, that uh, super hot watch space at the moment, and, and is committed over the long term, you know. We, we, through this initiative, are committed over the long term to build that philanthropic initiative. And we want the people that we reward to also be committed over the long term with us. The LVMH Prize has some exciting success stories with past winners. What do you think Louis Vuitton's long-term relationships should be with LV Watch Prize candidates and winners? I want to, I mean, obviously stay in touch and keep, and, and, and keep a close relationship with these, um, with these watchmakers. And as I, as I said previously, keeping a close relationship doesn't mean us being overbearing with them and, and trying to tell them what to do. I want these brands to flourish on their own uh, and, and you know, have their successes and their, uh, their misfortunes. But the idea for us is to be, again, positioned as a mentor uh, throughout the process. We say it's a year mentorship, but to be honest, the idea for us is really to, to build the mentorship over the long run if the relationship goes well between, between the two parties. Again, as the LVMH Prize uh, demonstrated as well, we're not here to try to uh, you know, incorporate new brands within the LVMH watch and jewelry segment. It's really a goal for us to build desire and originality within the watch industry, which is 
to a certain extent. I think now is the right time to do it because uh, you get a great, a great load of people that are having amazing ideas and I want these ideas to be present over the long run in, in, in the watch industry. Is the LVMH watch prize going to be a serial event? Every year is probably too often, but is this something that you believe should be an ongoing initiative? And then finally, any last words for applicants before they apply to the LV watch prize? Yeah, I mean, the, the LV watch prize is going to happen once every two years. Okay. Once every year, as you said, I think is a bit, a bit too much. We need people to get prepared as well. It's not very easy to make a watch. Uh, it, it takes a lot of uh, industrial capacity and, and, and a lot of process behind it. You could obviously do everything by hand uh, from, from start to finish, but that would also take a huge amount of uh, man hours behind that. So doing that alone would be a, 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 you know, a tremendous project. Um, and so once every two years, through the, that same process, you know, of getting the applications forward a year before and then doing the weeding, weeding out the, the applicants to 20 semifinalists, then one, then five finalists, and then, then, then the winner. Long term, I do want to develop that prize a bit further uh, by, by creating, you know, um, more mentorship. And rather than just one winner, we, we decided to start small um, to make sure that we could uh, target uh, the, the right people and, and see what kind of application we would get and things like that and, and then evolve over time rather than try to be too, too wide and, and make mistakes. So we've started small, but the idea for us is to, to, to get bigger and bigger in that and try to bring new laureates uh, and, and new winners in the, in, in the process uh, for different kinds of categories. I can also see potentially people who apply that may have not gotten through or didn't finish their watch may look forward to applying again and then they might make it the second time. 100%. The idea is as well is someone that's applied the year before that's uh, lost potentially uh, can also apply the year after that, apply with their either the same creation or a new, or a new creation in the, in the future. You know, uh, the, the door is always open. Uh, that's, that's the mindset. And as I said earlier, we're committed for this for the long run. We're not going to do it one year. We're not going to do it two years. We're not going to do it three years. We're really plan, planning on doing this for, for, for the very, very long term. Again, the end goal is, as you said, very selfish. I want independent watchmaking or its idea of artisan and craft to be a, a common thread in the watch industry for, for the foreseeable future. This has been an interview with Jean Arnaud, head of Louis Vuitton Watchmaking. Jean, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ariel. Well, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, send us your thoughts to podcast at a blog to watch weekly and keep tuned in to the Spending Time channel for more full interviews and tune in to a blog to watch weekly for all your weekly watch news. Particularly stay tuned to this channel for watch and wonders coverage whereby there will literally be dozens of interviews dropping. So thanks for joining us and have a great week. Bye-bye.